going to start now. We're going to continue our study in 1 Timothy, and we're in chapter 5, and we're looking at verses 17 uh, through 25. And we'll try to get through that today if we can do multiple classes. Um, so let me, let me go ahead and read our text. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourself free from sin. No longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some men are quite evident going before them to judgment. For others, their sins follow after. Likewise also, deeds that are good are quite evident, and those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for, for your word and the guidance that is found there. Lord, we lament that oftentimes uh, we pass through many things with ignorance. And if we had only known your word in a more profound and thorough way, we would have been saved from much, from much hardship and pain and confusion. So Lord, help us today to go through this extremely important passage. Help us to be elders, ex to, uh, to accept candidates for elders, Lord, according to your word. Help us, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, let's begin with verse 17. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. First of all, I want you to notice it says the elders who rule well. It doesn't say the principal elder who rules well. Um, I have seen over the years this occur many, many times in which a church moves to eldership and the man who was previously or was considered the only pastor appoints three men who sometimes are four men or five that cannot stand up to him, either in personality or theologically. And so in some sense, you still have one man ruling, but this time the congregation has been cut out. The three other men or four other men or five other men can act as a buffer and you have one man doing everything he wants. It says the elders who rule well. And you need to remember that most of you are in church plants or small churches. 
one day when God brings another elder and he's appointed as elder, he's either an elder or he's not. He's not a junior elder. If he's a junior elder, he's not yet an elder. He's an elder. And you need to realize that. And in the same way that if you speak according to the word of God, others need to hear. So if the other elders speak according to the word of God, you need to hear. And as some may need to submit to what you're saying because it is clearly accurate exposition, so you must submit when people have maybe even a case against you, okay? It's very, very important. So there's not this idea of one ruling elder and the others are servants of that elder or somehow elder juniors or junior elders in training. You're either an elder or you're not. Now, it says the elders who rule well. Uh, this also is a terminology that can be greatly abused. As always, there are two extremes, aren't there? Uh, men who do not lead, and then men who lead as dictators, as tyrants. Some of those men who lead as dictators and ty tyrants, it's obvious. Others are far more crafty in the matter, and they still rule with just as much tyranny. It's just they do so in a softer and shrewder fashion. I, get, I think that what we're beginning to see here is that now we understand why 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 are so important, that men who are appointed as elders must have certain non-negotiable character traits, and if they do not, it would be very, very dangerous to put them in the office of an elder. And possibly one of the greatest traits that an elder should have is humility, true humility. Now, the word for rule is proistemi. And um, I want you to know that um, when we hear the word rule, there are certain things that just automatically pop into our, our heads. You know, we, I think we, we get that idea from um, probably secular kings, secular authorities, dictators, monarchies. But the word literally means simply to stand before. That means to stand before a group. That's what it literally means. And the implication is some sort of leadership. But when I look at the entire New Testament, when I look at the epistles, when I look at what Jesus says about leaders, I've come to this conclusion personally. Um, you rule by standing before the congregation. If you want to use that word, you, you rule, you lead. Um, as one who stands before the congregation as an expositor of God's will, of the scriptures, and as an example of God's will. You have no right whatsoever to impose in any shape, form, or fashion your own design, your own personality, your own whims. You are in charge of leading by expositing scripture carefully, knowing that you will be held account, accountable. So I want you to look at this. So you're required to expound the scripture and you're, you're required to live the scripture or be an example that others can 
reasonably choose to follow. And so really everything is wrapped around the word of God. It, it is the word of God. You teaching it, you being an example of it. For example, you wouldn't be teaching your congregation to submit to one another. If you yourself are not a person who will submit to others. You're an example. So if you're if you're teaching leadership, you're an example of leadership. If you're teaching submission, you're an example of submission. Do you see that? I want you so much to, to realize that the minister is important, but there is one sense in which the minister is important. There is another sense in which, wow, be careful. You want to just simply correctly communicate God's word and be a proper image of the will of God as it is revealed in scripture. And we'll talk more about that. So it says here, the elders who rule well in the New English translation, those who provide effective leadership. I actually um, have come to appreciate that translation a bit a bit more. Those who provide effective leadership by expounding God's will and by living it. Now, I want you to look at preaching sideways. <laughs> I know that sounds a little strange, um, but I want you to look at something. So imagine that behind me was the throne of God, okay? And then here in front of me is the congregation. Some men preach broad-shouldered, and, and it's, it's almost as though they are the authority speaking, and they are speaking to those who ought to obey. Well, imagine it this way. Instead of me doing something like that, I'm kind of standing sideways and I say, did you hear what God just said to all of us? Did you hear that? Do you see what I'm saying? Teach them to obey all that I commanded you. Whatever you're teaching, you're required to submit to it also. There are not categories. There are not exemptions as you grow to greater maturity or as you have, you know, possibly more prominence in the ministry. And so it's always like when we're preaching, we stand in front of men and we preach. But at the same time, it's almost like we're also listening. We're hearing. We're being convicted. I hope that you have preached where not only people who heard you fell under conviction, but you fell under conviction. I hope that as you preach, not only other people saw that they needed to make changes in your life, but you saw that you needed to make changes in your life. You don't want the people one day quoting to you, physician, heal thyself. You have all the answers for everyone else, but you yourself are wounded from your own disobedience. So one who provides effective leadership, the NIV, which sometimes is, is very helpful. It, it says 
the one who directs the affairs of the church. I, I prefer this idea of effective leadership above the word rule because I've seen over, especially the last few decades, how that terminology has been abused. And the text literally does mean one who stands before or one who stands before the congregation. And when I look at the rest of scripture, I see that my position and my person, neither of those has authority. I don't have authority because I say, you know, if I was a pastor, I'm the pastor. I don't have authority because um, of something inherent in me. I don't have authority. I can't pull the authority card just because I'm older. There are a lot of foolish older people. We have authority only to the degree that we're speaking God's word. And we're submitting to the word ourselves. So now I want us to look at some examples of the way that the word is used. I want you for just a moment, if you have your Bibles, to turn to 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 5, verse 12. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. Now, the word proistome is used here, have charge over you in the Lord. Okay? Now, again, that sounds like, man, I have charge over you. Okay? But I want you to look at a relationship that's found within the verse itself. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. Again, the authority to lead is directly related with instruction. And where is that instruction? In the word of God. And so I see a lot of men at times exercising all kinds of independent leadership when what we should be doing is expounding scripture. So that when someone comes to you for advice, you go to scripture. You go to scripture and you expound it. And you also are an honest expositor. And what I mean by that is, and this is one of the reasons why we should search uh, church history, and this is also one of the reasons why we should be open to commentaries and different things like that, is to understand that there are some questions in which we can give an affirmative answer that if you do not do this, you're in disobedience. Someone builds an idol in their house and begins to worship. I have authority to say, Take that idol out of your house. But then there are other things in Scripture themselves in which godly men, godly men down through history, have kind of come down on two different sides or maybe even three different sides. And so there are some things in which we can give counsel, but we recognize we are making an interpretive decision that throughout history, has been a little bit in the gray. Do you understand? 
Like when I hear someone say, and I had a young man do this a couple years ago, he kept going, this is what my Bible says, this is what my Bible says, this is what my Bible says, and all that matters is what the Bible says. And I, and I looked at him and I said, do you know what you're actually saying? You're not saying, it's not, this is what the Bible says. It's, this is what my interpretation of the Bible says. Now, the Bible is clear. There is absolute truth that can be expounded, stood on, and exhortations can be made based upon that. But you and I need to be very careful, especially as pastors. There are some areas also where we need to lay out the principles, but turn it over to the believer to study those, come back to us, dialogue back and forth. They're not rejecting our authority because that's not the point. We're trying to get them to see what the scripture says and with clear conviction in their own heart, they must learn to do that. That's why one of the greatest things you can do for your church is not to become its fountain of wisdom. So that everyone is always coming to you. That's wrong. The key is to teach the church how to expound the scriptures, not only so that the Holy Spirit can lead the individuals, but also so that they can hold you and your preaching accountable. Very, very important. So he says, have charge that have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. Another way to look over it, preside over you in the Lord and admonish you. And so, again, authority here is directly related to the exposition of Scripture. Another way in which I want us to look at this is 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4. And it says, regarding an elder, he must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. Now, managing a household has to do with more than children. It also has to do with a wife. How do you do that? And be very careful here because you don't want to incriminate yourself. Um, when you go to Ephesians chapter 5, it does talk about the leadership of the husband. It's very, very clear. But leading your wife and leading your children are two distinct things. You are not leading a child. You are leading, hopefully, a mature woman. And part of that leadership, when we look at the text in Ephesians, is you're imitating Christ and she sees Christ in you. You're washing her with the water of the gospel, with the scriptures. And your leadership is founded, that's the core of it. Again, it's the exposition of scripture and it's the example. Another thing that you need to realize is leadership of another person doesn't mean that you never go to them for advice. As a matter of fact, there are certain people in your life that you should go to for advice almost all the time. And guess what? If you're a good leader, you will realize that the people giving you advice that even work for you may have the answer 
and you need to reject what you were thinking and you need to go with their idea. Well, it's the same way in the family. When the Bible says that your wife is your helper, there's two ways of looking at that, okay? One is you pat her on the forehead. I don't recommend doing that to my wife. <laughs> you pat her on the forehead and you say, oh, you're my little helper. Now I can do that with my seven-year-old, but if I did that with my wife, I'm not sure I would have a hand to pull back. She's not my little helper. She's my indispensable partner who helps me. And without her help, I would be in a great deal of trouble. That same word is used with regard to God's relationship with Israel. He is Israel's helper. He's not their little helper. He's their indispensable helper. Now you say, well, Brother Paul, we're talking about the church. Yeah, so let's take that back to the church. They're your brothers and sisters in Christ. They have the Holy Spirit. They have been born again, not less than you. Many of them study the scriptures, and if they don't, they ought to be encouraged to study the scriptures. You ought to teach them to study the scriptures. Some of them will become more godly than you are. Some may have more wisdom than you will ever possess. So again, when you're talking about leadership, you're not leading a bunch of children. I have heard pastors at times speak about their congregation in a way that was quite demeaning. But let me tell you something, if a parent boasts that their child can't survive without them when their child is 21, there's a great problem. Not with the child as much as with the parent. Our job as elders, as pastors, as ministers, is to see people grow to maturity. And you say, well, to work myself out of a job? Yeah, in part, that's the job of parenting to work yourself out of a job. But don't worry, there's a difference between ministry and parenting. Sooner or later, you can't have more children. But there's always going to be new believers, hopefully, coming into the church. They're gonna need the care of a wise, loving, and humble pastor. And will also need the care of those mature believers that have grown up under your ministry. Do you see that? It's very, very important. So it is a leadership of teaching. It is a leadership of example and imitation. Now that last thing that I said, imitation and teaching, one thing, I sometimes think that fools run in where angels fear to tread. Do you realize that oftentimes a church will take on the personality of its leaders? That believers will take on much of what you say and what do you do? And if you want to protect yourself, you need to be very careful in this. You need to constantly remind them that the best of men are men at best. And that they're to follow Christ that they have the Holy Spirit, they have a conscience, and they have the Word of God. 
and that yes, at times they can even disagree with you and be okay. Okay, let's go on. Now, this idea of leading as an elder, it only works effectively if we have the following things in place. First of all, the non-negotiable character qualifications of an elder found in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. I think that you're beginning to see that character is a tremendous thing in leadership. There have been leaders that have made wrong decisions, but there have been far more leaders that have gotten themselves in trouble, not over wrong decisions as much as wrong character. That's why Paul says in chapter four of first Timothy, watch not just your doctrine, but watch your life carefully. Watch it. Let me ask you a question. Are you intently conscientiously and biblically seeking to become more like Christ? Do you have a plan? Those character qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, are they, uh, how, how much do they play into your life? To trying to be more and more conformed to those things that have been set out. So first of all, none of this works as far as leadership, unless the elder is, he possesses those characteristics, he's cultivating those characteristics, and he's growing in them. Also, he has a mature knowledge of scripture and leads the church only according to what is written. We're going to stop here and pick it up in our next session. This is extremely important. Oh, how important it is. And I want you to, I want you to have a healthy dose of fear. A healthy dose of fear. If I had to leave my wife and children with you and I was never coming back, I, I was passing away. The last things I probably said to you would would have a great purpose in them to instill in you a fear. A fear. I think the words be careful, be cautious. Be careful, be cautious. Would would be repeated quite frequently. All right, well, we'll pick up there in our next session. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray that you would work through the word to help these men, to help me, to help those who listen. Oh, God, let us not think more of ourselves than we should. Lord, we have no inherent authority, no inherent power. You are the vine. We are the branches. Help us, Lord, to keep our station. To not go beyond. What has been given to us in Jesus name. 